Imagine if medicine actually looked at you as a whole, opposed to looking at you as a bunch of separate systems. Dive into Integrative Wellness Radio with Dr. Nick and Dr. Nicole to learn more about the top trends in integrative medicine, to learn about what the limitations are with testing and what you can do to start your health journey. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Integrative Wellness Radio. (laughs) That was amazing. I'm Grace. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist at IWG, and I'm here with Dr. Nicole to bring you some interesting views on all that goes on down there. (laughs) So... That should also be a topic is more (laughs) getting into the reproductive, but we're actually talking about um, bladder and urinary tract. So we have recently had an influx of a variety of patients with interstitial cystitis. This is our third podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And what I found interesting is that typically interstitial (laughs) cystitis is a female-based condition. And we have actually recently had an influx of men Mm -hmm. that have been diagnosed. So I always take everything with a grain of salt when we have individuals that are coming in because it's not as much about their past or current diagnosis. It's really a matter of let's dig in. Right. Let's let's ask the better questions and let's do some testing and see if there's anything more that's going on. Or if there is a different root cause. Right. Because something like interstitial cystitis is just a label. It's not essential. It's a symptom, basically. Well, it's, it's inflammation yeah. of the interstitium and the bladder. Right. So it's not telling you why you're having frequent pain, frequent painful urination. Mm-hmm. It's just letting you know that you are. Exactly. Well, I think that's majority of diagnoses is it's just mm-hmm. merely a description of symptoms. Yeah. Um, But with that being said, is that when we're talking to patients, one of the things that often uh, fascinates them, Mm -hmm. causes their mouths to drop drop and allows them to really have their minds blown is the way that we look at the body. Mm -hmm. And it's really not just a matter of looking at, let's say, a urine analysis or blood work, but also considering anatomy. Mm-hmm. And what a lot of times is being overlooked, and again, because because our medical system is based on specialists, then we are segregating out body systems. So you are potentially working with a urologist if you're dealing with IC, um, but if you're having dealing with gut issues or reproductive, which are all in that same area, then obviously you, you're working with a reproductive specialist as well as a gastroenterologist. So just understanding that within your pelvic bowl, bordering your bladder is your intestines, Mm -hmm. as well as as a female, your reproductive organs. So what's very interesting is that some individuals that have had surgeries uh, for different reasons, they have had surgeons go in and say, well, your bladder was actually adhered to your uterus or your bladder was adhered to your bowel. And that's, you know, there's a lot of issues that coincide with that. But if that's happening, we have to consider, is this truly just a bladder problem or 
is this an environmental problem? Mm-hmm. Right. Because what is something from your experience that would cause adhesions like that? Mm-hmm. It, when someone, okay, you're on the table, you're opened up. So what what would cause a surgeon if someone's never really had a surgery, right? Mm-hmm. Even if it's exploratory or laparoscopic before to, for them to then say to them once they wake up, you, you, this organ was adhered to that organ because mm-hmm. that's got to be scary to hear mm-hmm. um, uh, when everything else is also unknown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there is obviously going to be the external, yeah. which would be something like a C-section. There are many women that state after a few. Right. Some it's after one One, C-section. And then some women will have two or three children and they'll say, oh, you know, on my third child, they actually cleaned out a ton of scar tissue. Yes. Um, Or it's really just a matter of looking at the female. And what I will ask women about their C-section scars, if I'm working with them from a distance and they're not sitting in front of me is, you know, I'm like, listen, like I'm not asking you this question for judgmental purposes, but I, I would like to know, like, what does your scar look like? Did you have any infections Mm -hmm. in your scar? But also, do you have a little bit of a shelf from your stomach over the scar? Like, is it kind of flapped over? Because what that tells me is that there is a lot of tight scar tissue that is behind that scar that is creating that kind of overlap of of the belly because it's creating that indent. And if it's creating that indent, then the scar tissue behind the scar might be adhered Mm -hmm. to the mesentery. It might be adhered to different organs, so on and so forth. Right. Um, So we definitely need to consider different surgical procedures that have happened hernias, Mm -hmm. um, hernia repair and mesh Mm -hmm. is another big factor to be considered, especially when we're dealing with men. Mm -hmm. Um, There are many of the mesh that have been recalled. And so that one of the interesting things that we can do through our DNA based testing is we can actually um, once we know what the mesh is, we can actually test to see if it's stressing the DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a pretty interesting thing that we can do. So we can actually help you to know, like, is this part of the problem? So we're not ignoring the fact that you have something foreign right. in your body. Right. But something that is less explored and less understood is... First and foremost, you you and I both know we are in an epidemic of gut issues. Yes. Massive epidemic. And first of all, parasites are not uncommon. Um, We all eat sushi. Yep. And uh, sushi, canned tuna. uh, Dog kisses. Dog kisses. Swimming in lakes. Yeah. Swimming in foreign bodies of water. Dirty water. Traveling abroad. I just had a um, exam with a patient who had been like white water, some something along the lines of like rafting mm-hmm. in Colombia when he was mm-hmm. a child and had such a horrific stomach virus after that mm-hmm. that they took him to the hospital and he was like I don't know what I was injected with nobody knows but they injected me with something and my vomiting and diarrhea stopped after that. But I've had these, he was, you know, going on and on about what's transpired since. And mm-hmm. and that was something that did it go away just because mm-hmm. they gave a shot. Mm-hmm. But additionally, hmm. um, yeah. It was probably more of an antispasmodic. Yeah, because of the way he was reacting. Yeah. But 
also the pesticides and herbicides and insecticides that it's like i've been organic my whole life it's like okay do we treat the yard do do you grow up near a farm did you grow up did you go to school near a farm did you go to school yeah but most organic food so this is interesting i don't know if i ever told you this but it's a silly story but i had um i lived in california and there was a peach tree in the yard and I pulled a couple peaches mm-hmm. off the tree. I don't know anything about growing anything, by the way. <laughs> but I was like, oh, there's peaches in my yard. Cool. Pulled them off the tree. Literally within 24 hours, they were moldy on the <gasps> counter. And it just like was this aha moment. I'm like, hmm. I literally just pulled this off the tree and it's moldy within a day. So how the heck is organic traveling from California to New Jersey yeah, on a or plane. Mexico, <laughs> you know, to New York, so on yeah. and so forth. And like, there has to be either, I know the primary things that they do is they pull things when they're not ripe and then they chemically ripen, which is not necessarily a pesticide, yeah. but who knows what that does to yes. the human body. And technically they're still organically grown exactly. because they're treated with chemicals after they've been harvested. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. How about when someone told me they don't eat peppers because they always make that squeak on their teeth? That's wax. <laughs> Isn't yeah. that insane? Yeah. No, it's, it's, it, there's so much crap on the food that people are unaware of and even when we're dealing with organic you know let's use dole as an example Mm -hmm. so dole bananas Mm -hmm. has been non-organic conventional for years Mm -hmm. now they have organic bananas but the organic farm is directly next to the non-organic farm and they use planes to spray you know over top which what if there's a wind gust right so overall we have to understand this is not for you to live in fear and like you have to have a greenhouse that would be awesome but one um, day we'll have an IWG greenhouse I would love that (laughs) Um, but just understanding that there is still a lot of contamination on the food and pesticide residues in the gut is one of the primary driving forces for celiac disease yeah so there are and and really gluten intolerance as well. So it's just understanding that that is a huge problem. And yes, there are issues when it comes to yeast and fungus, but it's not because of candida. Because those of you that are in this functional medicine realm, you may have heard of candida. So you're like, oh, you know, I had a test and I think I have candida, mm-hmm. and I I resonate with all the symptoms. But there's a lot of mold on food. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of interesting things that I've come across. Uh, through, you know, my own healing journey as mm-hmm. well as my journey mm-hmm. as a physician. And one of the, uh, it's not really a food, but uh, the primary thing that is chock full of mycotoxins is wine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of people that enjoy their wine. Right. Um, so there's issues in wine. There's issues in coffee. coffee. I was going to say coffee. Yeah. Most of us are drinking coffee every day. Yeah. And it's like, and so now now if I have to get a coffee, like I just took a road trip, for example, and I like had to stop for a coffee. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is just dirty mold water swill. This, yeah. Like <laughs> this is just undrinkable. But the number of times a day I have a conversation about the food that are contaminated with mycotoxins in someone who I know through testing is dealing with candida or Mm -hmm. penicillin mold toxicity Mm -hmm. or deoxynivalenol toxicity Mm -hmm. and all these different T2 toxins and mycotoxins that Mm -hmm. build up in their system. The number of times I have to have a conversation about 
coffee, gluten, rice. chocolate, rice, corn, soy. I know we're just ruining your lives vinegar. right now. <laughs> it's everything I love. Like, yeah. I, and I checked all those boxes. So mm-hmm. speaking from experience, I think will obviously resonate with patients more than not. So, but people, what I want you to understand about this too, and we're, again, we're going to circle this back to the bladder because it's all very relevant. Yes. But um, what I want you to understand is that it's not the we shouldn't fear some of these pathogens, but it, the problem lies in this new way that we are farming food and processing food. Mm-hmm. So there was an amazing docu-series. I don't know if you actually watched it, Cooked. I haven't seen that. It's so fascinating, but uh, some of the specifics was air. So they, it was the elements and air was all about bread. And it was the true process of how to ferment the dough, which is pretty much sourdough, and how that uh, fermentation process creates these microbes, these probiotics that actually break down the gluten molecules so that it's partially digested so that it's not affecting the human gut. Mm -hmm. And then they had a whole other segment about cheese. And that was the earth segment. And it was getting into the old world practices mm-hmm. of cheese making and how now everything in cheese making is done in stainless steel because it quote unquote is more sanitary. And this woman, she was a nun and a uh, microbiologist. Oh. Um, and she literally proved that because they tried to shut her down. She was making cheese in a wooden barrel. Oh, wow. And they were like, this is listeria heaven. You're going to kill people with listeria. And she showed that the little lactobacillus probiotics in the cracks of the wood, in the little crevices of the wood, was actually what combated the E. coli through the cheese making process. So she literally proved that the the cheese made in the stainless steel was an E. coli party. And I was just like, this is awesome. So it's like when you have the opportunity to work with these farms or small farms, you're, first of all, you're supporting, unfortunately, people that don't make a lot of money. These farms kill themselves and they barely make enough money to support their families. But secondary, you're getting way better quality. Right. So it's something to definitely be said. Yeah. But one of the specific cases that really stood out to me because this poor guy went everywhere and he was obviously very focused bladder 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 and he had a very interesting um, history of travel Mm -hmm. so there was so many possibilities when we were going through his consultation but it ended up being multifaceted but one of the primary issues was his gut And he's like, yeah, I had gut issues since I was a kid, but that's not why I'm here. Like I'm here for my bladder and I I need you to help me with my bladder. Like I'm, this is torture. It's been three years. I was like, listen, totally get it. Um, But what happened was the primary endotoxin, um, which was a toxin coming from his gut that was in his bladder was called mercaptan. And mercaptan is a byproduct from fermentation and also from a parasitic infection called Jardia. So what was happening is that he had this very significant gastrointestinal infection that was wreaking havoc on his gut. And when you have these infection, it gives off these gases mm-hmm. and they're called endotoxins. And this endotoxin was accumulating in the lower portion of his gut, which was then getting picked up by the lymphatic system, which was then 
getting picked up in the bladder. Right. So there was a little bit, there was some of the issue partly because the lower bowel was affected, but it's also if the mercaptan gets into the bloodstream, the kidneys will filter. And if the kidneys filter, then it pretty much has to go down into the bladder before it's excreted through the urinary tract. So this was a double-edged sword, is that the mercaptan was getting into the bladder, getting into the lymph around the bladder Mm -hmm. because it was leaching out of the gut. But then secondary, it was getting into the bloodstream, which then was allowing it to get into the urinary tract. So this was a huge, huge part. And this guy was specifically getting a variety of different, you know, therapies and treatments to focus on the bladder, 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 when the root of the problem was actually in the gut. gut. Right. And something that I think we always deal with is that, oh, I didn't have this problem when I was younger. And oh, this is just because I'm aging. Is this just what it is to get older? Yeah. And and I could eat whatever I wanted when I was younger. I could travel. I could eat raw meat. I could eat raw fish. I could eat. And that's why your gut's messed up now. Yeah. <laughs> and at the same time, it's like, okay, we just went on a rant about pesticides or besides insecticides. But when the liver has been yep. so over-toxed or, and overtaxed, essentially, on top of that. I like that. Overtoxed, over-toxed. and overtaxed. Yeah. <laughs> then it's not going to be able to detox. It's like the filter is full. Exactly. The filter is full. And where is that going? Mm -hmm. Where are all those toxins that can't move out of a congested, stagnant liver going? They're Mm -hmm. going back into the gut, into this toxic discirculation Mm -hmm. and this backflow of buildup. And that's leaching back or kind of like flowing easily back into the gut. That's going back into the the bloodstream. Mm Mm-hmm. That's leaching back into the lymphatic system. And where's that hitting? Your brain, your Mm -hmm. bowel, your bladder. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's like the path of least resistance. If the liver is maxed out, then things get into the blood and then the kidneys got to work harder. Yeah. Once the kidneys get maxed out, then the lymph has to work harder or, you know, that pattern can look differently person to person. Right. So, yeah. So it's, but when all three are maxed out, which unfortunately are a lot of the people that we work with, they just feel horrible. Yeah. And something else that I found really interesting, we were talking about anatomy when we started and how uh, strategic we are in the way that we go about dissecting what going on in all parts of the body is that nobody knows where the adrenals are oh really yeah I oh you don't get that I deal with that all the time yeah no. and I'm like the adrenals sit directly on top of your kidneys yeah like little Santa hats well I feel like everyone gets diagnosed with adrenal fatigue it's like the I had a patient who I sent to another um, practitioner because he was in Florida to get a therapy that I mm-hmm. recommended mm-hmm and this this doctor was like, yeah, I don't know if I'm buying everything that this doctor in New Jersey is saying. I just think you have fight or flight. And I literally like died. I was just like, oh, that's your revolutionary diagnosis. Oh my, my patient has fight, fight or, or flight. flight. Fantastic, Thank bro. Thank you. Thank you so yeah, much. Well, you. you know, why don't you put him on some adrenal supplements right. and maybe he'll get better. Yeah. I'm like, he's been there, done that. And that's yeah. why he sees me now. <laughs> but that's anyway, outrageous. that's my side tangent. <laughs> that's outrageous. Yeah, just some glandular therapy. You'll be fine. Yeah. But um, it's, but yeah, but like you're saying is that there's, once these detox pathways get taxed is, it's, it's a shit show. It's a shit show because you said earlier, serotonin's made in the gut. Okay, so then that 
automatically should pull the adrenals in because you want to see how their cortisol is mm-hmm. being regulated. And then it's like, okay, what axis are the adrenals communicating with? Yep. Your hypothalamus and pituitary. And your thyroid. Yeah. So oh, that's a whole nother. <laughs> I feel like we can't even say thyroid anymore because everyone thinks there's an overwhelming problem with just their thyroid. Like how this patient you're referencing came in just about the bladder mm-hmm. and it ends up being endotoxins. It mm-hmm. ends up being uh, bilirubin, toxic mm-hmm. bilirubin circulating actually through the bloodstream. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's it's sad because they don't know what they don't know and they don't even know what they're looking for at this point. Well, you know, the thing is, is that a lot of people have a dysfunction in the thyroid, but the problem is, is it's usually not the root cause. Exactly. So they're fighting the wrong fight for, you know, many years because yeah. that's what they're being told is yeah. the primary problem. But and, you know, this definitely goes for the bladder. But in addition to that is one of the things that I find myself talking about a lot is uh, biofilms. And most people have no idea what that term actually means. So when you have even going back to the gut, when Mm -hmm. you have different issues going on in the gut, maybe it's parasitic, maybe it's bacterial. Getting bacteria in your gut is not an uncommon thing. There's bacteria on your produce. That's bacteria on majority of the things that you put in your mouth. So if you get this overgrowth of bad bacteria in the gut and it gets into the bloodstream, again, your kidneys filter your blood. So maybe, you know, that's one of the ways that bacteria is getting into your urinary tract. Mm -hmm. That's more of a top-down issue. There's 100% the possibility that it's a bottom-up issue. The thing is, is that the urinary tract is very, very, very small, Mm -hmm. um, especially in a female. So there's not like things are going up there that would be contaminating with bacteria. But what's more common is that bacteria is getting into the vaginal tract and the the walls border. Mm-hmm. So very often when we are doing our testing, we're finding that the same bacteria that's in the vaginal tract is also in the urinary right. tract. But if it's there long enough, it works its way into the bladder. And what's a very interesting thing that happens with bacteria. So bacteria has been around for longer than humans, mm-hmm. FYI. It is um, always a ver- ever evolving and changing. Hence why there has to be new antibiotics that go on the market because these... Old strains are resistant. Yeah, yeah. they become resistant. Yeah. They, they learn how to protect themselves against what you're using to kill mm-hmm. them. So what they also can do is a bacteria sitting in your bladder can produce this sticky fibrous substance that we eventually call a biofilm. So it's almost producing this sticky fibrous substance. It's standing behind this sticky substance and kind of waving at your immune system (laughs) saying, ha ha ha, you can't get me. And that is what you call a biofilm. And biofilms are very common in the sinuses. They're very common. Uh, that's actually what plaque is right. in your in your mouth. Right. Um, it's very common in the bladder. It's very common even in the urinary tract. So this is why women especially get a lot of reoccurring right. urinary issues. And even despite the use of antibiotics. Right. So... That is something that also needs to be considered because these are the true root causes of interstitial cystitis. And a lot of people will report that they have issues with certain foods and they have issues with foods like vinegar or (laughs) spice. 
And what were you just saying about mycotoxins? I was just about to say I was just talking about mold and how it's on all the foods that you love. And I think, though, at the same time, this causes this is the reason why I see can be thrown around as a diagnosis Mm -hmm. connected only to mold. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But there's, you know, when you're eating, it's multifaceted. And I want to say this because maybe you have a mold problem in your body because you were exposed to it. Right. If you know it or you don't. Right. And that's why you're getting triggered by foods that are moldy mm-hmm. because not everybody gets triggered by right. them. It's the people that already have a mold or fungal problem in right. their body. But the secondary thing is that if you have parasites or if you have bacterial dysbiosis in your gut is that you're probably not breaking down food effectively. Mm -hmm. So what happens is you get a lot of fermentation, aka the food sits and it doesn't get broken down properly. So it ferments and that fermentation gives off these endotoxins that get into your blood, Mm -hmm. which then get picked up by the kidneys and then go down through the urinary tract into the bladder. So It's definitely, there's a lot of possibilities when it comes to what is truly the root cause of the interstitial cystitis. And I would say majority of the women that we work with, they are also dealing with a major scar tissue issue. Right. And that scar tissue is from potentially C-section. Maybe, just so people understand, is endometriosis is scar tissue. It's fibroid, abundant fibroid tissue. Yep. So that's a possibility. Um, cysts on your ovaries is another form of tissue growth. Yep. Uh, and then you can also have a lot of lymphatic issues in your pelvic bowl. That really comes from the chronic infection. So for the women that say like, oh, I have like bumps on my bikini line or mm-hmm. I, you know, I needed to get, I have to get waxed because I get super irritated all the time. That is usually a sign that the lymph nodes in your groin are very clogged. Right. And I think that also it's what we're using as personal products, mm-hmm. what we're using. And, and if that's causing micro tears and if that's causing very almost microscopic adhesions to form in the vaginal tract. Are you talking about tampons? I am. <laughs> I am. And so that's something that we've been. You did know, I tell you like, I did a toxicology report on tampons? No. Yeah. And then all the, we were very mature in school and they, uh, <laughs> uh, it was my roommate at the time and one of my husband's friends. And he was like, are you going to carry organic tampons in your office? And I was <laughs> like, I'm going to punch you in the face. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but it's something that obviously came about as like a, um, empowerment, obviously, mm-hmm. which isn't something you and I think about, but mm-hmm. it's something that our grandmothers thought about. Yeah. And so that's on the one hand, not something I ever want to take away from a from a female patient. Yeah, of course. But if you're someone who is suffering with endometriosis, if you're someone who is suffering with maybe undiagnosed endometriosis and you're just having painful periods and almost mm-hmm. like, you know, incredibly heavy flow. Mm -hmm. That's something that needs to be discussed because what you're using, whether or not really it's organic, Mm -hmm. could just be the fact that it's a foreign object and that insertion and removal is doing more harm than good. Well, and if you are using your more conventional tampon, uh, which majority of people are, it uh, it contains everything from uh, propylene glycol to fiberglass um, to dioxin. 
dioxin, formaldehyde. And if you were to look up any of those chemicals, they are all classified as carcinogenic. Right. And, you know, we obviously have many women that are getting diagnosed with HPV um, or abnormal cells Mm -hmm. and having abnormal pap smears. And, you know, it's all thought to be HPV related. Um, But very often my question to women is uh, when they say, oh, yes, I've had abnormal paps. It's because of HPV. I say, you know, uh, how did they determine that? Was that strictly by abnormal cells or it's because they actually cultured for the virus or did a blood test? And they're like, oh, no, it was just from the abnormal cells. And very you know, often it's like, why are we not considering the other factors? But again, it's because most physicians are not versed in toxicology or even aware that there is so many chemicals in the majority of the personal products that we put on us and in us. In us, yeah, absolutely. Um, So yes, I was horrified when Mm -hmm. I did this toxicology report learning about this. And, um, you know, there's some theories around the fiberglass that is present in the tampon that it actually causes you to bleed more so that so you, you use more, more tampons. tampons. Holy shit. Yeah. So, and it is interesting because just speaking from experiences, um, I haven't, you know, I, I stopped using tampons after yeah. I understood more of this and my periods actually shortened mm-hmm. um, and they were not close to as mm-hmm. heavy at all. Mm-hmm. So there is definitely something to be said about some of the chemicals that are Absolutely. present in it. Absolutely. So, uh, so overall, you know, the, the biggest thing that we want you to take away is that interstitial cystitis is not something that you're just doomed to have Mm -hmm. that is incurable, there is a lot of factors to be considered. And one is, is there scar tissue in your Mm -hmm. pelvic bowl? Is it because of a a superficial scar, like a C-section or a hernia? Or is there internal scar tissue? And that internal scar tissue is maybe from endometriosis or cysts or uh, different issues that you've had with inflammatory bowel. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's because you were a horseback rider and you fell on your tailbone a bunch of times or you were a skier or you had some type of low back injury. Mm -hmm. Those are things that tremendously affect the pelvic bowl, which alter the muscular insertions, which then puts a lot of strain on the bladder. Like that alone can create major pain in the bladder. A lot of women have their, um, their pubic bone becomes compromised from birth it will slip it will separate um so there's there's a lot of things anatomically right that need to be considered in addition to to scar tissue yeah as well as lymphatic drainage and that and be- what would be the signs if they have poor lymphatic drainage because their lymph nodes are blocked in their pelvic bowl what would be the sign of that is that they would have swelling and tenderness mm-hmm. on this spot. It's a, I'm touching it right now. And it's about like two inches below the inside of your knee. Yep. And if that's your spleen meridian and mm-hmm. that's your spleen point. And so if there is tenderness here and there's almost like a, sometimes there can even be a dimple mm-hmm. or an indentation. I see some women that they like, they're like, oh, I have a fat knees. Yeah. And they'll have like puffiness yep. in the that upper portion of the, the knee. Oh, yeah. As well. I have like messages to my friends trying to explain this to them. And it's just pictures of me holding this <laughs> spot on my leg. So I have all these photos on my phone of my leg up in the air with my two fingers right on this point. Um, and so if you're an avid, um, 
believer in traditional Chinese medicine and, and you seek out acupuncture, mm-hmm. but you're like, oh, you know, I still go for runs and my groin is still so painful and tender and it's so inflamed or sex is so painful and tender or you get waxed or you shave and you have all these bumps and then you're embarrassed. It's like that doesn't mean that acupuncture isn't working for you. That means that your detox pathways and your lymphatic drainage has not been optimized mm-hmm. and that's actually what's not working for you. Well, that's also um, just to kind of circle that together is your lymphatic pathways and your meridians, which is the foundation of Chinese medicine, mm-hmm. they actually run through your fascia. Mm-hmm. So they're running through your your fascial interstitium is technically what mm-hmm. it's called. So very often, if you have poor lymphatic drainage, you have a poor meridian system and, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so some of the signs that you might have this issue is this, that pain point on that inner portion of either, I would even say above the knee and below the knee. I always kind of see that like inflammation and I always yeah. poke in there and cause people are like, no, I don't have swelling or I don't have water retention and I poke and they're like, oh my God. Right. Right. Um, and some women will notice that they're, they get a little fluid in their uh, ankles. Right. I always ask like, do you see a sock indent mm-hmm. after wearing a sock all day? Yeah. Something else is to, important to mention in that regard is that like if you wear heels, mm-hmm. so I wear heels to the office every day and <laughs> when I, I've gone too long wearing them back to back. Mm-hmm. I will notice that it doesn't matter how many saunas I do. It doesn't matter how many runs I go on. I will have indentation after I take my socks off mm-hmm. for hours and hours and hours. So it's something. So maybe you need to take some advice from this podcast. <laughs> I think I do. Because I just, I was hitting that point. I was like, ow. <laughs> I think I have those fat knees. No, but it's, it's a constant I think battle if it's something you're dealing with with endometriosis with inflammation in the pelvic bowl and 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 we throw that term around but mm-hmm. it's because we're talking about more than one organ system yeah more than one issue and we're not grouping them together in a way to overlook the Mm -hmm. root cause or to get by without figuring out the root cause we're grouping them all together because we can work on everything at once Mm -hmm. because of adhesions because of scar tissue because of endometrial tissue and fibroids and cysts Mm -hmm. and and all of that can impair your drainage it can impair your fertility and it can cause significant pain and swelling well and and I think that even just like if you don't mind just like a brief story about you with what you're describing Mm -hmm. is like for you your bladder wasn't really a complaint but your periods were a complaint well I was just used to the bladder issues that I had for my whole life yeah so what um like they became your quote my normal. normal yeah so I was just used to having to quite literally run to the bathroom every 20 minutes yeah for my whole and even when I was in school and the bell would ring and we'd change classes I would have gone to the bathroom in class and then go in those three minutes we had to change classes yeah and that's just and like my friends would laugh and it was funny and never take me on a road trip and all this stuff and it was just something that I was just dealing with Mm because I didn't know better Mm -hmm. I just thought I had I literally thought I had a tiny bladder (laughs) (laughs) well that's what they'll say that's what everyone Oh, you just have a to. small you just have bladder. A tiny bladder. But then uh, having had a cycle for 
I mean, I don't even know how many years now, 18 years, um, and having had terrible, terrible, terrible periods for 18 years, Mm -hmm. um, everything makes more sense now in knowing what I know and how there is so much interconnection in the pelvic bowl and how toxicity of personal products and how lymphatic drainage and how being an athlete and then ceasing to be an athlete after so many years contributes to that. Yeah. But also for you, once you really dug in and did the testing, you ended up realizing the amount of, you know, infections that were in your gut. Yep. And then you also had a, a run in with mold exposure. Yeah. So it's been a matter of, you know, helping to get the bad stuff out of your body and then also addressing, you know, that fibrous tissue that's been built up, so on and so forth. So that's a really key thing I wanted to mention just because it's about strategy. Yeah. Like going in and saying like, let's address your periods right off the bat. That wasn't going to create the outcome that you were looking for Mm -hmm. because there were still things that were in the body that were contributing to that inflammation and that congestion Mm -hmm. in the pelvic bowl. So it was kind of starting with that foundational issue and then, you know, moving forward right. from there. Right. Um, and one other thing that I want to mention for women that are trying to really gauge like, gosh, do I have this going on mm-hmm. is, yes, you can have some of the water retention and yes, you might see that, you know, sock indent, but you also might have varicose veins. Mm-hmm. You might have spider veins going on. Um, those are other things to to consider. You might have really cold feet. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to understanding the integrity of your pelvic bowl, it's considering all of those elements, you know, are there scar, have you had procedures that have resulted in scar tissue? Have you had tailbone injuries? Have you had low back injuries? You know, do you have bumps in the bikini line? Have you had laser hair removal on your bikini line? Yep. Which this is just an observation. This is not anything clinically studied, Mm -hmm. but a common denominator that we have seen is a lot of lymphatic congestion in areas that women have had laser hair removal, um, which usually results in bulging veins um, in that groin area and also, uh, you know, different uh, congestion in the lymphatic pathways uh, connected to that. So, uh, so again, that's more of a observation that we've seen over the past few years, more than uh, something that's been clinically Clinically studied. So, uh, so overall, you know, we, we hope the biggest thing that you gained is that there is always a route to the symptom and there is always a solution to the root cause. Yeah. And that things like, I wasn't discounting acupuncture or anything like that, but the modalities that can be made available to you that are outside your comfort zone, like physical work, Mm -hmm. um, can make a huge, huge, huge difference. Oh, 100%. And that's the thing why we became integrative, because the functional medicine realm was really focused on better testing. Mm -hmm. But we found that the toolbox when it came to therapies was limited. And we had a broad spectrum of knowledge based off of our background and our continued education. And we understood scars and we understood meridians and we understood lymphatic system and we understood, you know, the, the benefits of the supplements and the diet and how it all worked together. And that's really how we've created some of the protocols and really helped people that have been stuck mm-hmm. or plateaued with other approaches. Right. So it's not just about diet and supplements and detox. It's also about 
considering those physical components and, you know, what can be potentially limiting your ability for your bladder to get good blood flow, Mm -hmm. for your bladder to have proper drainage, for your bladder to not be adhered or have scar tissue around it. Um, so all of those things have to be considered when you're truly trying to recover from interstitial cystitis or really any bladder issue, in fact. Right, right. So we thank you guys for being with us. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, so we will be busting out some fun podcasts. I think that we're going to have to go the thyroid route for the next one. Oh, yeah. Um, so keep your eyes peeled and we'll see you on the next episode. We thank you for being a listener and subscriber to Integrative Wellness Radio. If you're looking to learn more about Integrative Wellness Group as well as Dr. Nick or Dr. Nicole, you can check out integrativewellnessgroup.com.